All right, we're going to get into the Word, and we're going to be in Matthew 7, 21 through 23 to start out. And uh, this is a word that the Lord's been speaking to me all week. And then yesterday after men's group, it just really reiterated that, wow, this is where we need to be this week. So in Matthew 7, verse 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And let's pray. Father God, I thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you that you do let us be a part of your will. I pray that today, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts, Lord. God, get me out of your way that your message would come through. Prepare our hearts to receive it and let each of us be changed by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I uh, Every time I ever read this, this is, in my opinion, one of the scariest, if not the scariest thing ever said in Scripture. When Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And he is not speaking to the people in the streets. He is talking to the very people who serve him. That's what's scary. Or who are doing things in his name. Right? That really throws me off. And it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Um, That's very important. Whose will are we in? Right? We always have to be thinking of that. Whose will are we following? And uh, I heard uh, Tony Evans the other week say, um, God's plan is unconditional, but his will is conditional. And that means that his plan is going to happen no matter what. And his will is that you'd be a part of it. But his, his plan is not conditioned if you're a part of it or not, right? His will is going to happen, rather, or his plan is going to happen, whether you agree to it or not. But he does want us to be a part of it. And uh, so he comes in and he says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? This tells me that a whole lot of people who are doing a lot of good stuff, Jesus doesn't know them. They're doing a great work because if you're casting out demons, you probably have an understanding of at least who Jesus is. You have an understanding of what to do to cast out demons. You're doing it in his name and you're prophesying in his name and you're doing mighty works in his name. Yet he doesn't know. Him. And so that's always one of those scriptures that you look at and you're thinking like, how do I know if he knows me? says I'll be doing the will of the Father in heaven, but how do I even know if I'm doing that right? And uh, so that's what I want to talk about, right? I uh, I think of it in this way. So parents will understand it more than most, but we all understand that whenever you have a parent-child relationship, nobody knows that child better than the parents, right? Now, other people will know about that child, but the parent knows the child. 
And as the child grows older and older, the parent actually begins to understand and know that child better than the child knows themselves. Like they can start anticipating what the child's going to do next. They already know how to discipline the child and get the child guided in the right direction because they're so close to them that they recognize it, right? And the parent even has to discipline the child sometime, but whenever the parent, like a good parent disciplines their child, within an hour that child is back to loving on the parent and being dependent on the parent, right? And the difference between a child, uh, a parent-child relationship than most relationships is one is in control and one is reliant, right? The child is relying on those parents to take care of them. The child needs that parent. The child is going to rebel at times, think it knows better, this, that, and the other, yet the parent is always the one in charge, and the child is always the one who is in need. And it's an odd thought process because we often think we come to the Lord and we're like, well, I don't want to be that needy guy that comes to the Lord, but we need the Lord, right? And I always think of that whole concept of how do I know if he knows me I, I know it the same way that that I know that a child knows its parents and the parent knows the child, and the parent actually knows the child better. So I want to talk about these very things. One of the things uh, that I often think, like when you see the people who are doing a good work for the Lord, chances are they know a whole lot about the Lord. They know how to do things right. They've probably studied, and uh, some of you may have heard me share it before. There's uh, When I was a kid, I was the biggest Ozzy Smith fan in the world, at least in my mind I was. Ozzy Smith, a baseball player for you guys that don't know. He played for the St. Louis Cardinals. I can tell you everything about him. That's right. Yeah, he was awesome. You know, he was he's who I grew up knowing. Every, like, I can tell you statistics. I knew where he was born. I knew how he practice when he was a kid i knew so much about him because he was my guy right and then whenever i got into high school i got the opportunity to meet ozzy smith right yeah it was great and i walk up to ozzy smith and i shake his hand and he looks at me like he never met me in my life and i realized that i knew everything about him but i've never met him in my life there's a difference in knowing everything about somebody than it is knowing somebody. Right? Jesus knows everything about us. Doesn't mean he knows us. Doesn't mean he has an intimate relationship with us. There's the big difference of what he's talking about in the top. We can know everything about him. Oddly enough, when I met Ozzy Smith, he didn't just say, Eddie, I missed you. It's so great to see you. Instead, he's like, here's your autograph. Get away, little kid. Well, he didn't say it. He's actually a super nice guy, but he had no idea who I was because we never spent time together, right? So we're going to go to John 10, and I want to see how this looks. And uh, these are things that are very important. I don't want anybody to ever, I don't want this to ever be a church that's reaching thousands of people and nobody is known by Jesus, Right? Because there's a difference in having knowledge than there is of having a relationship. So John 10 starts out and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the 
sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by any other way, that man is a thief and a robber. And that right there, you look at that and you're like, you may think, like, what does that exactly mean? Right? Uh, how else are they coming in? You got to remember, in this time period, there was a lot of different leaders. You had Pharisees who were trained from little kids to be leaders. They had the education. You had political leaders who were put in a position of leadership. You had other people who were just by force taking leadership. And they wanted people to follow them. And that's what he's referring to. He's referring to the people who were not his people. He's referring to the people who did not do it the proper way. A shepherd is anointed. A shepherd is there because God put them there. The only reason why Jesus became our shepherd is God said, God the Father said, hey, shepherd your people, right? And that's how it happens. So he's referring to those who are coming in any other way than from the Father through Jesus Christ. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. Now, the only way back in this day, like say at night, whenever you come to a common area for shepherds and for sheep, they would all the sheep would go into a holding area. The shepherds may go get some rest or whatever. There was a gatekeeper that would stay at the gate. Right? The way the gatekeeper knew that when you came and got your sheep, if they were your sheep or not, was how familiar you were with your sheep and them with you. So it's it's weird when you study this stuff, you realize that they actually had a name for their sheep. They would name them. And uh, a good shepherd would actually say that the, the sheep recognized their name. Did they? I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about sheep. I know they taste good. That's about the best I know about them. And, uh, but most animals do. <laughs> but it... uh. So they would know. So whenever the shepherd would come and he would call his sheep and he would start to speak, the sheep that would come to him, that that uh, gatekeeper would know, wow, has to belong to them, right? But what would happen was if somebody was trying to come and steal the sheep and they and it was awkward, it was an awkward interaction between that man and that sheep, the innkeeper wouldn't let him go. The gatekeeper wouldn't. and And that's what he's talking about here. He says, but he who enters the door uh, is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The gatekeeper knows before he'll ever let him in by the interaction, right? by who they are. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Very interesting concept. They know his voice. And uh, sometimes we get to that point, but like, how do I know if this is God's voice? And it takes being around him over and over and talking with him to start getting familiar with him, to start discerning the difference between his voice and your voice or another voice. And it's that interaction and there's another way they know their shepherd's voice. The reason why they will follow their, a good shepherd is because a good shepherd tends to them. The good shepherd, if you look in uh, Psalm 23, where you see 
you know, he prepares the ground. He takes them places to drink. Like, he provides all of their needs and everything they would ever need. They feel safe in his presence. And no matter what happens, even in discipline, they will always believe it's for their good. And that's the person we follow. That's who we follow. How do we know the difference between a stranger's voice and God's voice, the Father's voice? It's, uh, and you've probably heard me share this over the years. I remember, like, I was listening to the radio one day, and I'm listening to the radio, and there's all these people on the radio. You know, I, you, you get familiar with some voices, but I don't know anybody on the radio when I'm listening to the radio usually. I can say, oh, that's so-and-so song, but I don't know them. And then one day, I'm listening to the radio, and I hear this advertisement come on. And it sounded like a guy I hadn't seen for a year or two. I was like, man, that really sounds familiar to that. That voice sounds familiar, but it couldn't place it at first because I hadn't heard the voice for a while. And so I just kept listening, and I kept listening, and the guy says his name, and I'm like, that is him. But I couldn't recognize it right away because I wasn't very familiar with it. I hadn't been around him much lately. But then... A week later, I'm listening to the radio, and I hear Shelby Seabury come on the radio when she was in high school. And immediately, I knew Shelby's voice because I spent a lot of time with Shelby. I knew her voice very well. And the moment I heard that voice, I said, that's Shelby. And I recognized it, right? And it's because I was so familiar with it, I couldn't deny, you couldn't deny whose voice it was, right? I knew the other voice, but I wasn't very familiar with it. I had to discern and take time and listen. And that's how you, you get to that point. You got to get more and more around to figure it out. And uh, so that's how they know. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. That's uh, one of the accounts I've seen of this was there was a group uh, I don't know how long ago it was. I want to say they said it was in the 60s, but I don't know. But there was a group of shepherds in Israel who had had a bunch of sheep, and this guy from Scotland came up and thought, I am going to try to get those sheep. He said, I'm going to see what happens. They always say they recognize voices. So he comes up and he starts herding these sheep and trying to move these sheep, and they start moving. And then the shepherd stood away and just called out names. And the whole thing, whole flock of sheep, no matter how much that guy from Scotland tried, just came back. He couldn't stop it. Because they recognized his voice, and the, the stranger's voice was not going to pull them away. That's the way Jesus wants our relationship with him. We should be so focused on his voice and where he's taking us and what he's doing, nothing gets us off. Right? The other one I, I read about it uh, that, I, that I thought was very interesting was in World War II, there's a group of soldiers who were trying to steal some sheep in World War II from, I, I want to say it was in Germany or something. They were trying to steal sheep. I imagine soldiers were thinking, hey, you know, we're hungry. We're going to take them. Who's going to stop us? Same thing happened. The shepherd starts yelling for his sheep, and they come back, and all those soldiers couldn't stop them. You know, it's just, it's, it, it doesn't matter by force or what, the sheep will come back to the one who knows their name. The figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them, so they still didn't get it. Uh, of course, most of them weren't shepherds. 
So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door to the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So this is another concept. If I'm out in the fields, it's getting late and it's time for my sheep to bed down and it's time for me to to sleep, I would take my sheep into an area, like maybe off to a cliff where there's nothing on each side of the cliffs, and I would make a makeshift-like barrier, and I would make a door, and I would sleep right at the door as a shepherd. And the only way a person could get to my sheep would be as if they were stepping over me to get into it. That's how I would protect my sheep. And Jesus is saying he is that door. You will not get to my sheep, but through me. Right? And that's what he is telling. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. But the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. It goes right back to where we were talking about before. The good shepherd, the sheep will follow. The good shepherd is allowed in to get his sheep. The thief is not allowed in because the thief only wants to steal, kill, and destroy the sheep. He wants to eat them. He wants to get profit off of them. He's not going to go take care of the sheep. Instead, he's going to wish harm on them. He's going to do something for his own selfish ambition. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. goes back to Psalms. You know, it's the... Jesus does everything to take care of his people and... Sometimes you're thinking like, well, I've been following Jesus and I don't feel like I have life abundantly. He didn't say you're going to be rich. He didn't say you would have everything you wanted. Life is actually nothing about possessions. It's about living. Right? So many people in this world, not just America, but America probably worse, are going through life dying every day. Their life is always like, ah, you know, each day I die a little more and you know, I'm getting closer to death, and I'm getting closer to death. I need to figure out a way that I don't die. I need to focus on how to stop myself from dying. And and they focus so much on that part, people dying every day. And that's their whole thought process is, is you know, we're all going to die. Instead of focusing every day on living. Focusing on every day is, what does God have for me today? When Jesus is taking care of you, when you're following the voice of Jesus, when you're in God's will, there's life. There's excitement. There's an energy. There is a, not to say you won't have struggles, not to say there won't be hardships, but you're living, right? Your next day, you're ready for it. You know, there's life in you and you have life abundant. You're not focused on the death. You're focused on the living. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lay down, lays down his life for the sheep. We know how he did that. And it, uh, something I found interesting in that concept, though, is I wonder how many actual shepherds, even in that day, would have died for their sheep. I know they fought for them. I know they would, you know, go out and defend their sheep. But would they have actually died for their sheep? This one will. This one will do it. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. 
And this is always one of those you always hear them talking about when it comes to pastors, leaders in the church, things such as that, that if somebody is in it and they're just getting paid, they really ain't going to care too much what happens to you, right? Whenever you look at our politicians, they really don't care what happens to you. They want your vote, right? When you look at all kinds of different people around our society who pretend to have your best interests, we all know that people who are... uh, activist in this or people who are trying to get us to think this way or another religion or whatever we know not one of them would actually die for you not one of them and actually they'd be ready to kill you the moment you don't agree with them right you're you're hurt you they hate you they want nothing to do with you but the good shepherd will lay down his life for you the good shepherd does that And anybody who is following Jesus, truly following Jesus, and put in leadership role behind Jesus, should be doing the same. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Hmm. I know my own and my own know me. That is a question that I've been thinking about all week, or a statement, I know my own, and my own know me. That interaction. It's the sheep who listens to his voice. It's him knowing everything about his sheep. He knows which one of his sheep, because he's around them so much, he knows which one has to have special care. He understands which ones are hurting. He understands how to tend to each one of the sheep in his flock, because they're in his flock. They hear his voice. He knows them well. They know him well. What about us, though? How well does Jesus know us? You're being honest. How well does he know you? That was what's been hitting me all week. How well does he know me? If I listen to his voice and he knows me very well, or... My shepherd is the person whose voice I listen to most and follow most. Who have I been listening to? Who am I close? Who knows me best? Right? For a child, the parents know them best. You know who doesn't know a child best? The people at their school. Because when a kid goes to school, they're trying out a new life. They're trying new things. They're trying to figure out what they can do and how they can look better. And they're trying to make this face of this is who I am. Right? But when they're at home, the parents see who they really are and they know them better than anybody. What about with us when we're around Jesus? When we're spending time with Jesus, does he get to know who we really are? Does he get to, Do we really depend on him? Do we need his provision? Do we need everything he has for us? Or is it more of, God, I'm going to come to you and I have this, I want you to see me this way. I want you to see me as the guy who's serving you. I want you to see me as the person doing this. I want you to see this, that, or the other. Are we real when we're with him? Are we spending time with him? Does he actually get to know who we are? That That's the biggest fear any of us should have. Does he know who we are? And if he doesn't know who we are, who does know us? Who actually knows us? Who do we spend the most time with? And you may think like, 
Well, my spouse, which is good. But a lot of times, it ain't that. A lot of times, you're spending more time with your games or your TV or you're spending more time with other stuff that knows you actually better than even your spouse does now or your best friend would have or your whoever, right? It's who are we spending our time with? Who is getting to know us? Who are we most open with and real? That's what Jesus wants. He wants real. He wants you. Right? I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father and I lay down my life for my sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. And when he's speaking of that, he's not speaking of, like, is there another group of people we don't know? He's speaking to Jews. And he is saying, the Jews and the Greeks, they're all mine. Or the Gentiles, they're all my people. I have two flocks, and eventually they're all going to be one. And they're mine. I'm their shepherd, right? He said, for this reason... The Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And I, uh, that is always a great verse there when he says, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. When Jesus came to this earth, Philippians 2 tells us that he emptied himself and became a man for us. He became a person. A He Flesh and blood just like us. He emptied who he was. And a lot of times when we are with Jesus and we begin to follow Jesus, we're not willing to lay down our lives. We're not willing to lay down who we are. Right? We have these, you know, if I ask you who you were, like, who are you? Most of us can give a good description of our titles, things we do. But he wants us to lay those down. That's what he did. He laid down his place in heaven. Only so he can take it up again. And God's asking us to lay down our lives. Lay down what we find most valuable, what we're living, and then begin living for him. Right? He never stopped being God. You never stop being the things you are. He just is asking you to lay them down to follow him. Right? Then he says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So Jesus has all authority. This is what I thought was pretty interesting. It goes on to verse 19. It says, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Who listens to him? Others said there are not these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And here's a man who just shared all these things about taking care of people. And Tracy, you can come on up. But here's a man who just shared all these things about following the Father, being in the Father's will. These are the most educated people that he's speaking to. More than, well, a lot of them would have been. This is off of the Sermon of the Mount, so there was thousands there. But it, uh, 
Oh, actually, John Tim wouldn't have been. But either way, he uh, he just shares this whole thing of just follow me. You will not make it to heaven if I don't know you. And their first reaction is, is well, half of them's first reaction was, this guy's got a demon. Who's listening to this? Why would I listen to this? And uh, I don't know. This is, should be one of those messages we start thinking about, who am I listening to? Do I recognize his voice? And on that day, is he going to know who I am? Does he truly know me? Am I real with him? Do I let go of myself around him? You know, I, I, I think I do at times, but there's other times I sit there and I think, maybe I don't. Maybe I'm not very good at this. Right? And I would hope all of us have those moments. Because if you think, you know, like First John said yesterday, when you think you got it, you don't got it. Right? It's whenever we're sitting here and we're like, Lord, I just want to make sure I'm good with you. I want to make sure you know me. Right? And that's the thing. Lord, I want to listen to your voice. Help me to discern the difference between your voice and mine. Help me to discern the difference between my voice and others, Lord. Help me be so focused on you, God, that that's what matters most. And uh, it's, a, it's a tough situation. I think most of us do well, but we have to always be evaluating. And we're going to... We're going to be taking communion here in a few minutes. And uh, as we take communion in 1 Corinthians 11, as you get around verse 27 there, 28, it says, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discernment Discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, just lost more. If we judge ourselves truly, we would know we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So we're going to take communion here in a few minutes, and we'll have. Uh, Tracy do a little bit of worship and we just need to examine ourselves where we're at I, one is with this part here we need to make sure it's his voice we're listening to but we just need to make sure we're ready to take communion right and uh, I don't know I just don't want to be condemned so I'm ready and so uh, yeah so Tracy if you going to take the elements here and uh, I don't know I'm just grateful for a, a savior who's done so much for me and that I'm dependent on and, uh, I, I will give you a, just an idea of how I look at you know God uses a lot of us to do a lot of things and and often I wonder how God could use somebody to do so much and in the end not know their name and I look at Samson. And Samson, God used him mightily, allowed him to do a lot of major things in the name of the Lord. Yet we never see him actually relying on the Lord until he becomes broken and humble. And 
that moment you see him crying out to the Lord finally. Before then, he just he just went about his way doing whatever he wanted. But there came that moment where he knew he needed the Lord. He was relying on the Lord. And uh, how he was before then, I'm not sure. But Scripture sure doesn't show us ever cry out to the Lord until in the end. And uh, I, don't, I don't ever want to be that way. I want to be... I'm hoping I'm humble and I'm hoping I'm always crying out to Him and relying on Him. And uh, He deserves that. So we're going to take communion and it says, uh, For I received from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took the bread and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father God, we're going to take this bread, Lord. We're going to be remembered of what you did for us, Lord. How much you love us, Lord. And how even when we were unrighteous, Lord, and didn't deserve it, Lord, you died to make us right with you. Father God, we receive this bread and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. same way he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it and remember it's of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink from this cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes father god we thank you for your blood lord we thank you for for you allowing it to pour out lord and to cleanse us of our sins lord that there would be no more iniquity found in us because of your blood, Lord, and we will forever remember that, and we're grateful for that, and we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you're the good shepherd. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that your will is to have each of us with you, God, and being a part of what you're doing. Most importantly, Lord, we thank you that you died for our sins, making us right with your Father. You rose again, giving us the promise of heaven and living with you forever, Lord. Let us never take that for granted, God. Lord, help us to always be dependent on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all.